CFL fans, are you ready? Because it's time for the Canadian Football Countdown on Mike FM Winnipeg. Canadian Football Countdown starts now. Hello everyone and welcome to another edition of the Canadian Football Countdown. My name is Michael Gerald, joined again by the one and only Ryan Troop, getting ready to talk about the Great Cup Division Semifinals and look ahead to the Great Cup Division Finals. And we are just a little, little bit excited because... We have a team involved in the game for once in the division final. And here to talk about everything concerning CFL is my co-host, Ryan Coop. Hello, hello. Happy to be back here yet again this week. You know, last week I uh, let Mike do the intro because why not? And, well, the Bombers won, so they're 1-0 so when he does the intro and we're, we're recording together so might as well keep that trend going right mike right <laughs> just so we just have a we're not superstitious I, I i'm incredibly superstitious Are you? oh yeah i uh so back in late july early august i bought one of those diversity of strength shirts the bomber one with mm-hmm. abi khan on the back at the mm-hmm. bomber stadium and I, I wore it on game day you know just like chris jones kept wearing it as his team kept winning Mm-hmm. Well, from that moment on, the Bombers proceeded to lose their next four games. Mm-hmm. So I said, well, I can't do that anymore. So I can't wear this on game day anymore. Have not lost the game since I since I switched that up. So, uh, yes, Mike, I am very superstitious. And uh, I can assure you, I won't be wearing that shirt on game day. I wear it another time during the week. I eat Saturday, Friday, but yeah. not Sunday. Not Sunday. Uh, before we get into talking about, uh, first off, we're going to recap the division semifinals that took place this past Sunday, and then we'll get into talking about the uh, the games to come, the division finals, four teams left, uh, looking to get in the Grey Cup for the coming weeks. Um, before we talk about that, we'd just like to remind everyone that we are a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. Uh, check out all of the other great Canadian Football Podcast Network shows at cfpodnetwork.ca and at cfpodnetwork on Twitter. And uh, one of the things uh, within the podcast community that is coming up, uh, we unfortunately, Mike and I, won't be at Grey Cup this year, but uh, several of our podcast pals will be. And uh, the Two and Out CFL podcast is actually doing a live recording of their podcast uh, from, I believe, the Grey Cup Festival in Edmonton during Grey Cup Week. So, uh, if you're going to, if you're going to be in Edmonton during Grey Cup Week, we wish we could be there, but uh, I recommend you go check it out. Uh, they're recording it live uh, during Grey Cup Week, Thursday, November twenty second, three to four thirty p.m. Uh, tickets are ten dollars, and they all go towards CFL fans fight cancer. So. You get a chance to watch Travis Curra and Brazilian Thai and all their antics and, you know, their football talk along the way as well and support a good cause. So uh, tickets can be bought to and out live.eventbrite.ca and uh, check out at to and out CFL on Twitter for more info on that. Crazy, crazy, but we're like, well, I mean, this time next week, two teams will be headed to Edmonton for the great Cup. Yeah, it all goes so fast. It's crazy, actually. 
a week from today will be the uh, first practice at the Birchfield. I still feel like we're back in, you know, May, June, when I was predicting the Argos to repeat as Greek Cup champs. <laughs> that all went very well. Uh, you win some, you lose some, right? Right. But I, I, I think, you know, depending on what happens this week, that I think we'd be very, very happy to be wrong. We'd be very happy to be wrong with our pitch. Uh, if a certain game falls a certain direction on Sunday. Yeah, we'll get into those games coming up. But first, let's start off with the recapping the semifinals. Uh, the Eastern semifinal is the first one to kick it off. Uh, the Hamilton Tiger Cats played that game. Uh, the BC Lions were there. I don't know if they necessarily supposedly. supposedly <laughs> I don't know if they necessarily played in that game because it sure didn't seem like it when I checked the score sheet. You know. I, I had plans during that day. Uh, I got to catch the Bombers and the Riders game, but I didn't get a chance to catch that game. And Mike texts me, are you watching? Oh, ball game over. So I'm like, what could he possibly mean? Because for those that don't know Mike, he tends to send very vague text messages at <laughs> times. Very cryptic text messages. It takes a bit of digging to find out what he's talking about. So all it took was one look at, you know, the score of the football game, and it's 28 nothing at that point uh, for Hamilton. And uh, man, oh man, Mike, uh, 44 nothing at the end of the third quarter. The uh, BC gets a pity eight points in the fourth. Hamilton picks up another four. And 48-8, to eight, the Hamilton Tiger Cats win. Well, um, I have a couple takes on this game. Okay. Number one. If there was ever a worse way to end a Hall of Fame coaching career, <laughs> this might be it. Um, I also believe that all of the narrative about Hamilton being light at receiver, lots of injuries, that whole kind of thing, was kind of thrown out the window. Because there was one gentleman, and his name was Jeremiah Mazzoli, who showed exactly why he's a finalist for MOP this year. And, and, you know, there was some discussion, and I'm not sure if I mentioned this on the previous show at all, but if, and in my opinion, I know the votes have been already placed and all that kind of stuff, and they just nailed the final two. But for me, if Jeremiah Mazzoli can lead Hamilton to the great top game, to me, he will have cemented MOP status, which is why I think partially um, MOP awards and most of the awards, in fact, should be voted on after the season is done. But I understand why they do it and they take the playoffs out of it and, you know, to make it a little bit fair for everyone. But we just got a glimpse of what Jeremiah Mazzoli can do when he's on. Yeah, and just before I weigh in on that, you mentioned the last episode, and I, I should, uh, I want to go out and say that uh, last episode smashed listenership records for this podcast, Mike. So uh, thank you to everybody who listened last week and listens every week, and keep sharing the show, keep getting it out there, and we we love to talk football, and we love to share football with everyone. Yes, thank you to all our listeners. Uh, to weigh in on what you said about Jeremiah Mazzoli showing why he's MOP, I, I, I can see why he was nominated um, you know, for MOP, but personally, I almost feel like Brandon Banks was more so the, the most outstanding player, uh, for the East division, for the Hamilton Tiger Cats, because we saw, you know, without 
Brown and Banks in the lineup those past couple games of the regular season that this offense just stalled completely. You know, they you thought, okay, well, Luke Tasker is going to take on more of a workload, but he didn't really. He got the same amount and produced, it seemed, less because more people were focused on Luke Tasker. And it was kind of a question coming, I think, into this playoff game. How would the Hamilton offense, you know, could they get it back over that hump? Who's going to step up? And there is very clearly one guy who stepped up this week, as he did in the final week of the regular season. That's Braylon Addison. Yeah, I mean, playoffs are for unsung heroes for sure. I mean, wasn't it the playoffs or somewhere around there where we were introduced to Devere Posey and other well-known well, well receivers? Well, no, Devere Posey had a pretty outstanding season last year. But, you know, we were introduced to guys that we don't necessarily know about in the playoffs in general. Keenan LaFrance, I think, might Keenan, be one of yeah, the best examples, the right? That's the guy I'm trying to think of. Go back to that Eastern final between Ottawa and Edmonton uh, in 2015, 2016, because uh, yes. they faced in the finals in 2015. In 2016... Uh, Keenan LaFrance had the big game uh, against Edmonton, put them in the Grey Cup Finals. They go on to beat Calgary there. Um, Yeah, playoffs is the time for... And we were at the game where Edmonton beat Ottawa. Right, in in, 2015. In Winnipeg, so... Um, Braylon Addison stepped up, five catches, 124 yards. Luke Tasker, again, this opened things up for Luke Tasker. He had 70 yards, two touchdowns. Here's the thing for me that really kind of sealed... BC's fate, if you want to call it that. Everybody talked about Calgary, Winnipeg, Saskatchewan defensively. Everybody is underlooking almost all the time just how dread this Hamilton defense is. And we saw it, at least I saw it. Uh, They were forcing turnovers. There were, you know, three and outs deep in BC territory which led to punts, which led to excellent field position to start off drives. As much as Hamilton was good offensively, their defense really, really set the tone for this game as well by allowing great field position for their offense. And it makes a world of difference. If I may talk about Winnipeg and Saskatchewan for a minute. Sure. All the drives in which Saskatchewan scored early in the game, late in the game, were predicated on great field position. Big returns to about the 30, 45-yard line, one or two plays into field goal range and a couple pass interference calls. To me, it was a lot, lot the same way. It was pin BC deep with great hitting, get a two and out, Force them to tip near the 15, 20-yard line. It's about a 40-yard tip. Your average field position is about the speed conservative 35, 40-yard line. One or two big plays, and you're already in field goal range, and and you're off and, off and running. So, you know, as much as it was Hamilton's offense, I don't think we have this discussion without a very dominant defense. No, and their defense dominated, I think, four sacks, two interceptions, a couple fumble recoveries, uh, at least one defensive touchdown. Simone Lawrence almost had a second, but then was knocked out at, what, the one or two-yard line. So, 
an all-around dominant performance by a Hamilton in this game, and I think that eases the critics a little bit. Uh, now the question becomes, and we'll get into talking about their matchup with Ottawa later, mm-hmm. now they face an Ottawa team they haven't beaten yet this year. They've lost all three matchups with Ottawa. Ottawa seems like they're kryptonite, and I'm interested to see, okay, they've got this momentum. You know, they, it looks like they've got a guy stepping up in Banks' mm-hmm. absence and Braylon Addison, which is huge. Mm-hmm. Are they going to be able to overcome Ottawa? And that's something we'll talk about a little bit later on. Here's an interesting thing for me as far as, and I'm not going to go into the matchup at all, but there's got to be something said for having played versus a team coming off a bye. I mean, my understanding is that um, Hamilton came out of this fairly healthy. So I am not aware of anything major happening. So that's, that's really, really good news on that front. But for me, a real concern was, and I know you had alluded to this on, on the uh, previous show, I think a little bit, or it was in a, in a discussion with somebody who told me that they weren't all that surprised with what transpired, just given the way BC was on the road. Yeah, I to toot my own horn here a little bit, I believe I called this on the last episode of the podcast, didn't I say... I draw a lot of comparisons to the 50-to-something shellacking BC had at the hands of Montreal in a crossover game a couple of years ago. Well, what comes out and happens? Again, BC, as far west as you can go in terms of CFL teams, uh, Hamilton. Okay, Hamilton's not quite as far east as mm-hmm. Montreal, but pretty close. Mm-hmm. You have this long gap. You have an early game. The game starts, I believe, if my calculations were correct, at 10 a.m. BC time. Yes, even if they, you know, get there the day before or whatever. Or, or two days before. Or two days before the game. Friday already. So. Right. But even in that case, you know, still, th- this is about, this is at 10 a.m. where, you know, I'm guessing the players don't wake up at 10 a.m. on an average day. I mean, Matt Nichols, if you talk about Matt, guys like Matt Nichols who are at the stadium at 4 in the morning. Right. But that's still a fairly... Well, I think 4 a.m. I mean, 4 a.m. 10 a.m., is your standard practice time. You know, you're in your facility, you're in your meetings, and then practice is usually around 11.15. Right. Give or take a little bit. So it's not that off. But to me, what was interesting was, and I think this sums up BC an awful lot, when Travis Lule is off, the whole team's off. Yeah. And to me, very early on, having watched back that game a little bit, it became very apparent very early on that Travis Lilly did not have it. And I I wonder if Wally going back, in hindsight, should have maybe pulled the trigger on a quarterback change a little bit earlier. Earlier in the game. Earlier in the game. And, you know, if the game is spiraling out of control, you're, you know, you're getting turnovers, you know, pulling your team on the sideline and lighting a fire under their butts isn't necessarily going to help. I mean, the one tangible thing, just like in hockey, right? When your team's not going, your easiest switch is your goaltender. Right. And I'm just wondering, I'm not too sure if it's the way Hamilton would have was playing, but that would have helped. But in this case, you never know. But for me, some of the throws that Jeremiah Mazzoli made, I don't know if there's a team that could have defended some of those bad shoulder throws that were just fantastically thrown and fantastically caught. So... You know, as bad as BC was in the game, and I did not expect them to go out as bad as they did, I think that was the sentiment among a lot of people. Credit needs to be given, but 
Hamilton was prepared, Hamilton was ready, and Hamilton was ready to go from the opening tip-off. I, I think you said last week that when we were deciding who, who we were picking in this game, if it was a defensive shoot, shootout or a defense, a real defensive game, I think you said, you you know, you could see BC winning that one. But if it mm-hmm. got into offense versus offense, yeah. you know, shootout in that sense, BC didn't really have a chance. And while Hamilton very early in the game made it an offensive shootout where BC, you know, their offense had sparks sometimes throughout the year. But but there's no way down 28 that that this BC team is going to come back. Basically, this is what it was. It was it was a UFC fight. Hamilton blew a major uppercut in the first quarter, and had BC kind of wounded, and and BC just didn't have a response. No, no, they they clearly they, didn't. They didn't have a counter punch to to overcome the start. Yeah, and, and I think. You, you've pretty much summed it up at this point. Hamilton came out flying. BC struggled. You know, Hamilton dominated on all sides of the ball. We're, we're going to get into, you know, as we go throughout the offseason, talking about, you know, what we expect to change with all of these teams uh, and everything. But I, 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 to me, BC is one of the biggest question marks going into the offseason because you have Wally Buono mm-hmm. out as head coach now because this was his last game. And, you know... It really sucks to see Wally go out like that after such Absolutely. A, after and such a career to go out in the sense of being blown out in a playoff game like that. But one thing that hasn't changed about Wally is he was his typical self after the game, regardless of the you know he was right. great, gracious in defeat, and, and and that's something that's something when it comes to Wally, um, we will always remember him for right. Um, just to make a comment on what you were saying, I think this opens the door for a full-blown rebuild in BC. Yeah, because you're going to need a new coach now. Um, quarterback position, I think, is a big question mark to me. I doubt Jonathan Jennings comes back next year, especially after all the he said, she said that went on with Ed Hervey mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Jennings' agent and just Jennings' play this year. I don't know if BC goes into next year with Travis Lulee at quarterback. I personally, just given his injury struggles, I still believe Travis Lulee is a great quarterback, but I don't know if I'm sold without a backup plan for him. Here's the thing, and, and, and I, it spoke to me in this football game more so than anything. There's a duck in the room. Oh, the good old uh, iPhone duck ringtone. Gotta love it. I love it. Anyways, um, Mike, you were saying. <laughs> oh wow. Okay. Um, what I was saying is, what spoke to me in this game was the importance of a CFL quarterback. And I'm not to say that Travis Lule is, you know, not a CFL quarterback. But if you don't have good quarterbacking in a game in this league, you're behind the eight ball. Right. And that happened in this football game, clearly. So, at, at the end of it all, BC is now eliminated. Then the Ticats move on to the Eastern Final. And for me, BC starts with looking for a quarterback. Yeah, I think that's fair. And, and we'll get into all of that in the offseason. Because I know you and I talked this week. I, I really I see a couple teams with quarterback needs. Uh, both teams eliminated this week with quarterback needs among them. And... I don't know which quarterbacks are all out there that are going to be moving pieces to fill those holes. So I'm interested to see how that all plays out. 
Uh, and I think just real quickly, like, like I said in, in our conversation, I don't think this plays out in February. No. I think there'll be quarterbacks that, you know, said team acquires the rights for said quarterback and signs said quarterback. Right. Uh, so, yet again, Mike, we talk all about the one division thing. We talk about how the West dominates the East every year, and yet... Well, there's a West crossover. Once again, it will not be a Western crossover team going to the playoffs or to the Grey Cup as the Lions are eliminated in the first round. Uh, we will have either the Hamilton Tiger Cats or the Ottawa Red Blacks representing the Eastern Division in the Grey Cup. And we'll talk about that matchup a little later on. But let's talk about the Western semifinal. Uh, took place in Regina, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders hosting the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Uh, throwback to the first ever regular season game at uh, New Mosaic Stadium in which the Winnipeg Blue Bombers beat the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, and now the first ever playoff game at New Mosaic Stadium where the Winnipeg Blue Bombers beat the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. And it was right in line with the scoring line in the game, as I recall. What do you mean? Um, for the longest time, trending in the week leading up to the game, it was about a four-point game for Saskatchewan. Those were the odds. And oddly enough, the line flipped to about three and a half, four points the bomber direction after it was revealed that Kalaros wouldn't play on Saturday night. Now, let's start off with that because last episode of the podcast, we recorded on Wednesday last week, which today is Wednesday as well. So we're recording on Wednesday again. And it started off, I believe we talked about how Kalaros was most likely going to play, but they had brought in Drew Tate, and Chris, well, Chris Jones is one who likes to play his cards close to his chest, and all of a sudden it's uh, it's found out by Dave Naylor the night before the game that uh, Caleros will be scratched, uh, he will not dress, and Brandon Bridge gets the start. I, I think, to be very honest with you, I, I, I think it was a, an intentional leap because as I would as I understand it, uh, TSN likes to meet always with the starting quarterback and the coach uh, the night before the game to record all those little pre-game interviews that you see. Right. So I, I, I think it got out then, and I think they had some kind of thing that they were allowed to make it public at the time because they had met with Brandon Bridge and all that kind of stuff. You, but, you, you know, honestly, knowing Chris Jones and all of the antics he likes to pull, it wouldn't have actually surprised me if, after all of that, they take the field on Sunday and uh, Zach Caleros is out there starting. Yeah, but yeah. but no, he does not dress. So Brandon Bridge gets the start. Uh, Bombers win this one 23-18. I think once the news was out there that Bridge was starting, a lot of people were trending in favor of favoring the Bombers in this matchup because... It, it, it seemed like a heavily favored in the Bombers, you know, heavily in the Bombers' favor matchup at that point, despite how good Saskatchewan's defense is. But this was a close game throughout. And uh, boy, as a Bombers fan, I, you know, I was nervous late in this game, Mike. Here's the interesting thing with that football game. Um, you know, we, we talked about one thing, uh, I think, coming into the game, as I recall, or whether it was with you or whether it was with somebody else, but I know. About this football game. Uh, we, we talked about turnovers. And the propensity to throw turnovers. Not on word. I don't want to screw anything up. But in three playoff games. Matt Nettles just thrown zero interceptions. For the Blue Bombers. Yeah. Um, Matt Nettles had one interception. One. Since the four game losing streak. Going into, into, the, into the third and final bye. 
since coming out of the Badger Bowl, pardon me. So The Bombers didn't turn over the ball once in this football game. The Riders turned it over twice. Granted, one of them was that final play interception, I believe, right? Okay, so throw that out. The turnovers for lack of better turner were one nothing. Right. Um, that was a key interception, though, it, because it, it, led, it led to the Bombers' touchdown. Because I want to I wanna go back just a little bit more and go back to the first quarter. Sure. Saskatchewan so gets a field goal. Winnipeg gets a sustained drive, but doesn't get any points. Saskatchewan, in turn, gets the ball back a couple of big plays and a couple of penalties. I don't exactly remember the circumstances, but Saskatchewan was in and around the bomber goal line again. Brandon Bridge had a Rob Bade wide open. I looked at this again on the video. On the second down play after that, which led to the second field goal, if Saskatchewan threw the touchdown there. I think this complexion of this football game changes entirely. Yeah. 10-0 versus 6-0. Oh, for sure. You're talking about a one-possession game, a two-possession game. Also, what really struck me was when it was 6-0, Bombers didn't panic. In fact, they responded on their ensuing drive with a field goal of their own, which really, the way that drive was trending, should have been a touchdown. But what was interesting to me was we hadn't seen a lot of bomber games played in this fashion. It was always high scoring. Offense needs to put up 40, defense gives up 35 or whatever it was. We had never seen in recent years the defense or the ability to go punch for punch with somebody else and wait for the offense to come around. Not to mention, if you look at uh, some of the games the Bombers lost throughout the years, what was the, or even the ones they still narrowly pulled out a win, biggest issue was the inability to make halftime adjustments, mm-hmm. right? That's something they struggled with fairly often throughout the season. I would argue that's what something they did really well in this football game because in the second half, Andrew Harris got the ball, and then Andrew Harris got the ball, and then Andrew Harris got the ball, and he kept getting the ball, and he kept running all over that defense. You know, the Saskatchewan defense looked very good in that first half, but eventually Andrew Harris wore them down. This, to me, is what speaks louder to me than anything else in that whole football game. When everybody in the stadium knows you're going to run the football, defense, fans, everybody, absolutely everybody, and you're still ripping off big runs like that, speaks to how good you're playing. Yeah. Um, For the Riders, I I think we called it back, you know, probably around Labor Day, uh, middle of the season, something like that. You know, this defense is impressive. How long can they keep up winning football games just based on their defense alone? I know we discussed this, maybe not. On the, I, I had concerns, but Saskatchewan would not get out of the first round because of that. Is that really yeah, hard? yeah, maybe not on the podcast, but I know we specifically uh, talked about it with one another, that eventually the lack of offense from the Riders would catch up with itself, and uh, it would hurt them when it mattered most, and, and it did. And, you know, if Zach Oleros is in there for this game, how much do things change? I'm not convinced they change a whole heck of a lot. Uh, just, you know, maybe the, the, uh, the passing game's a little stronger for the riders with Coleros in there, but again, offensively throughout the year, even with him in there, 
They really didn't do that whole much. He threw three picks the last time the team met in the 31 nothing game. I mean, Matt Nichols threw two pick sixes the second time these teams met. Mm-hmm. And then, so, you, you know, but to me, Brandon Bridge did a great job of running the ball. Mm-hmm. He did not do a great job of passing the ball. He only had 100 passing yards on the day. And when, when your quarterback's playing like a glorified running back, Right. Uh, you know, uh, it can be effective at times, but you need that passing game to supplement it. And and you mentioned there were a couple plays early on in the game where, okay, they could have completed a pass, gotten a touchdown there. One of them hits the, the two-point conversion, I think they could have gotten. Uh, I, I think that he missed Roosevelt. I think that was on the touchdown late in the game. Yeah, it was. Uh, where he, you know, in his hand, and then he drops it. Right. Um, so we, we do need to address the elephant in the room, though. What is that? Jackson Jeffcoat on Brandon Bridge. Right. Yes, of course. Um, to me, no excuses that the penalty. Um, no excuses on the CFL. You should have caught it. Uh, no excuses on the field if your referee doesn't see it, but the command center can't. Yeah. Here, here, here's. I, I don't blame the referee because we've seen the video. He was blocked. Uh, I think it was, by two guys. Yeah, I think Patrick Lavoie was was right. If I'm getting the right guy, was right in his uh, field of view. So he, the the head official that was focused on calling that type of penalties, because you know this is something I've never really thought about until I read it on Twitter this week. Is you have all of these refs out on the field, and the argument is always, how did none of them see this happen? You have one ref that's focused on watching the quarterback. One that's focused on watching holding calls, you know. One that's focused on watching pass interference down the field, like every based ref, on their position, and that's the time you often know where the flat, what the flight is, based on who throws the flight. Right. So every ref has uh, ha- has the things they're watching. So realistically, there could have only been the head ref that was focused on the, on you know watching the hit to the quarterback. The, the head ref or the umpire. Yeah, watching the hit to the to the quarterback, but. If his view is blocked, he's not going to see it. So do I blame the refing, the refs out on the field for not making that call? No, because he, he didn't see it. You're not going to throw the flag if you didn't see it. What I do think needs to happen, and I know Randy Ambrosi has addressed this and said, basically said we need, to, we need to make this change, and I fully expect coming into 2019 that there will be changes in this I, I fully expect it to happen tomorrow. The way he was talking, I, I think this week this weekend we're going to have a command center overrule on hits to the head i i hope so and i think that needs to happen because when player safety comes into question like regardless of which team it is and i, I know riders fans are obviously upset because well you have the odell willis hit on coleros uh, a couple weeks ago you would then have the now the brandon bridge hit from jackson jeffcoat but but regardless like even as a bombers fan i can go and say this should not happen mm-hmm. uh this is not acceptable and I'm interested to see what they're going to do about it because, frankly, even if a flag is thrown at that point, it's a 15-yard penalty. You have eight seconds left on the board. Whether Brandon Bridge is still in there or not, is that going to impact the outcome of that football game in that sense? No, but at the end of the day, when player safety is concerned, you know, you have to make it more of a penalty for guys to go and make hits like this. I think what we're going to see, and I don't want to look too far ahead because this is an off-season discussion, but it's in our discussion right now. I think we're going to see something like what we see in college football in the NFL. Which is what? Which is the, the targeting rule, uh, which allows basically, it's not a challenge. It allows the official to look at 
uh, blatant hits to the head via video review for a targeting penalty. If it's deemed to be intentional, uh, an intentional blow to the head, it's a game, uh, ejection from the game and a 25-year penalty. Yeah, I, I think something like that needs to happen. I understand that, you know, there was this big thing about, oh, well, we removed the couple challenges because the games were taking too slow. Now I think by giving each team one challenge, you've put a lot more pressure on your officials to get calls right, especially in the case of what happened where, you know, Chris Jones was already upset for something that happened earlier in the game that uh, DPI that wasn't called, and it was blatantly obvious. Uh, Roosevelt, I don't know who it was, Sales or somebody from the Bombers. I think it was Marcus Sales, yeah. Blatantly had his arm on Roosevelt's jersey, and it it was a penalty. You did see it. You know, right from where I was sitting anyway. And the interesting fact was that that's something that should have been called by the referee, but wasn't. And to force coaches to use a challenge to fit something that should be blatantly obvious, I think it's also frustrating a lot of people because then Chris Jones maybe would have had a challenge to overrule or to possibly challenge that hit to the head. It happened late in the game. But that being said, I don't even think that should be a challengeable offense. I think that should be an automatic review by the referee, by the command center. And if it's a blatant intentional blow to the head, 25 yards targeting out of the football game. Um, just to cap off the Riders season here, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, definitely performed better than I thought they would this year. I had them finishing last in the West Division. Uh, the offense definitely did not step up and do their part, but their defense, I mean, round of applause, hats off to their defense for the season they had, because, uh, frankly, they, they won them all the games they did. Uh, and, and I know Adam Bighill is the Western nominee for defensive player of the year, but I think there's several guys on that Saskatchewan Rough Riders roster that are definitely, you know, guys who I would consider up there in the upper echelon of defensive players in the league. One of the guys that to me didn't do an NFL lot this year, Sammy Glavin. Absolutely. I mean, everybody talks about Willie Jefferson and Charlton Hughes. Not too far in the same sentence should be should there be Samuel Glavin. Sam Glavin had 10 tackles on Sunday. The next highest was four by a couple different guys. So mm-hmm. you, you heard his name all afternoon long, and he was a monster out there. So I'm interested to see what the Riders can do, and we'll talk about this in the offseason going forward. Uh, I think they've got the defense in place. I think they've got a pretty good special teams in place. Now it's about what are they going to do to get this offense back on track. And if they can do that, this is going to be a scary Riders team in 2019. I, I, I think, to be honest, I think it's as simple as trying to find consistency at quarterback. For sure. A uh, couple th- couple guys I want to talk about rapid fire here kind of before we move on to talk about uh, this week's coming matchups. Uh, Chris Strebler, boy, go back to all the years of Bombers quarterback struggles mm-hmm. where we struggled to find a consistent starter, never mind a backup quarterback. For this playoff game, the Bombers have not won a pl- had not won a playoff game since 2011, you know, seven years ago. Game on the line, close ball game, final two minutes. They have their backup quarterback out there in Chris Strebler. 
uh, not Matt Nichols, and Nichols was not hurt. It was simply that Chris Strebler gives you an addition to the running game to help try to run out that clock. It just amazes me that this team has so much confidence in its backup running back for the most important game of the season when you haven't won a playoff game in seven years in hostile territory. You have that much confidence to put your backup quarterback out there to close out the job. And what amazes me more is I was 100% okay with it. Me too. Um, let's be clear. Bombers are 201 yards rushing. 201. Find me a team that's going to not win a football game rushing 201 yards. It's pretty tough. And I think to me that's what happened. With the Ryder defense being bogged down by Andrew Harris and Chris Traveler. They were so confused they didn't even know what was going to come. I will say this, you know, as much as I hype up and I praise Chris Streveler on that, I, I think some switch-ups need to be made with the the use of him uh, uh, in short yardage and then the subsequent play afterwards. Because it, it's, it's no secret now that, you know, second and one, Chris Streveler will come out there. Most of the time, he'll go and do the sneak. Sometimes he'll switch it up on second down. And then he stays out there for the next first down play. And... More often than not, you know, he's just going to, they're going to, he's going to take the ball and he's going to But until run. somebody stops it, why do you fix it? Because they've started stopping it. The riders were all over that, right? There was, I think, one time where he threw the pass in this game, but I think he was out there for six, maybe seven times uh, where he did this short yardage play and was out there for the next play. And every time it was like, Strebler's just going to take this and run. And the riders covered that like most of the time. I don't think all season long in that extra play he's stayed out there, we've seen him just do the simple thing uh, and hand off the ball to Andrew Harris. They, they fake it to Harris. He takes it. He runs by himself. Why not switch that up a little bit if you're Paul Apolise and have Strebler hand off the ball to Harris when everyone expects him to take it himself? I, I think to me, to me, this comes down to Chris Strebler being a phenomenal athlete. Oh, for sure. And I, I think you tell your guy... Take what you see. If you if you think you can run, then you run. And more can, often than not, he's able to run. If you think that you can hand it off, then you hand it off. So, I mean, I, I don't want to get too far ahead, but I think the Bombers have a future number one in Strebler. Uh You talked about Andrew Harris uh, dominant in this game, the rushing game. I mean, Harris is arguably the heart and soul of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, and I expected nothing less for him then to step up. He had a couple games, I think, down the stretch of the season where, you know, maybe he wasn't as effective uh, as he had been earlier in the year, but uh, certainly stepped up big time. 19 carries for 153 yards and a touchdown. Uh, couldn't have asked for a better day from Mr. Harris. And I think it's going to be, if the Bombers are going to win on Sunday, then Calgary, much the same. And, and then the other one guy I want to talk about here, Mike, before we move on is Drew Wolitarski. Um, do you see the windmill? The windmill? On the touchdown? What are you oh, talking about? The, the wind him up, the celebration? No. You didn't see that when he caught the touchdown? Maybe I did. I just he don't wind, remember. He winds his arms? I don't know. I don't remember. And does a little taunt? That was awesome. And then he did like the ass chop, I think it was. Oh, I'll have to rewatch that. But uh, Drew Wolitarski, you know, coming into this year, we, we talked about how... <laughs> Just a couple minutes ago, we talked about how the Bombers had so many issues or so many years of not having consistency at quarterback. In the similar sense, I think they had so many years 
where they, you know, weren't highly effective in terms of Canadian wide receiver. Drew Wolitarski comes in this year. Let the Jason Claremont comparison begin. Drew Wolitarski comes in this year. We saw a bit of him at the end of the year last year, I think. I think, yeah, I think he played well in that playoff game against Edmonton last year, if I remember correctly. We come into camp this year expecting, oh, Nick Dembski's in town. We're going to have Nick Dembski as an awesome number one Canadian wide receiver. Drew Wolitarski, yeah, I think he'll be decent. Putting that out there right now, Drew Wolitarski is the second best Canadian wide receiver in the CFL. Behind Brad Sinopoli, which there's no argument he's number one. And I agree, much the same, Ryan. I mean... Like, just looking around, trying to think of the wide receivers, uh, the Canadians around the league, I don't think... I don't think there's an argument right now. I think there's going to be an even better one, and he's currently playing Florida Bobbers. Who's that? Daniel Peterman. And and maybe we'll see him take a step forward next year. And I I think if you're the Bobbers, it's something you look at, right? I mean, if you got two guys in Peterman, and and we did get into ratio and all that in the offseason, but I could foresee a situation where the Bobbers are two Canadians at wide receiver at the expense of playing another American on the offensive line. Uh, the Bombers are certainly well off with Drew Olatarski at wide receiver, and I hope he's around here for a long time to come. And Jeff Gray, too, the Canadian offensive lineman who, you know, among a lot of people is probably picked to be a starter next year. Well, Mike, let's get into our division final matchups coming up this week, and we'll start with the first one out east. We have the Hamilton Tiger Cats in Ottawa to face the Red Blacks. Uh, Ottawa coming off the bye week, Hamilton coming off that uh, aforementioned shellacking of the BC Lions. Uh, season series, Ottawa won all three games this year, including the home-and-home home series late in the season. Um, where do we start with this matchup, Mike? I'm paranoid if I'm Ottawa. Why? You've beaten the same team three times. Do you really think they can do it a fourth time? I do. I, I feel like if you can do it three times, especially that they did in that home-and-home, home because, frankly, I, I've long talked about this. My rule of CFL pick'em is if there's a home-and-home, home, I pick the split, right? Mm-hmm. More often than not, you see the two teams split it. I, I, they got over that hump. I, I don't see why Ottawa can't win the fourth. Um, yeah, it's, it's a very interesting thing because I, I want to be careful what I say about, you know, the home and home and first place being on the line and all that kind of stuff. But remember, Hamilton was trying to find their way with all these receivers being out of the the lineup. Um, They were trying to find guys to plug the holes. They were, I don't want to say they were conceding these two games, because that wouldn't be fair either. But, you know, if if I look into it, I think it was a foregone conclusion that these two were going to meet in the East final anyway. Right. So contrary, the home and home was really only to decide where the game was played. So I don't even know, like, especially the second game in the home and home. I'm not even sure that meant anything to anybody given, yes, there was still an outside chance at first place, but... How much do you really show as far as your playbook goes for a possible playoff team? Right. Uh, home record for Ottawa, 6-3. and three. Away record for Hamilton, 4-5 and five during the regular season. So about middle of the pack for both. 6-3 and three is a pretty good home record, I'll say. 
uh, for the Red Blocks. To me, I, I think those, as much as it's nice to have a home and away record if it's decent, in a one-game playoff scenario, I think you could throw that out the window. Well, I don't think we could throw it out the window with BC. Well, I mean, that, that that's an extenuating sort of that. But the Bombers were under 500 on the road this year. The Riders were sitting three at home. Right, so it's a similar situation. So, so it didn't really mean anything as far as, you know, who's playing wild going into the game. And I'm not sure if we're going to find out to exactly just whether it was BC that bad or Hamilton just that good. Positional matchups, uh Quickly on each of them, let's go through it. Offensively, which offense do you like better, Hamilton or Ottawa? It's a wash. It's a wash. Even. I I, I would agree. Running back-wise, you got Alex Green, you got William Powell. That's a great matchup. Advantage going. Powell slightly. I, I'm not so sure. He's, he's been real quiet in the last six games. Uh, well, he didn't play in the last two or three games because they were resting him for the playoffs. So Powell's going to be ready to go. I think he's going to be fired up. Uh, I do like Alex Green a lot, though. At wide receiver, I'll give... I do like what they have behind Green, too. Mm. So if they can do a dual threat, I think they still have John White. I John White, Sean Thomas Erlington, uh, he's Mercer the, He's Timmons. the guy I was thinking of, Erlington. Um, so there's options there, and I, I think, to me, this game is going to be won defensively. I, I've got on offense, I've got the wide receivers. I'd say I'd give an edge to Ottawa right now. Yes, yep. yes, Braylon Addison stepped up. Yes, you've got Luke Tasker. But, I mean, you got Sinopoli, Ellingson, Spencer. Those are three guys who, if they step up big time, Hamilton could be in trouble, definitely. Uh, at quarterback, who do you think is the better quarterback in this matchup? Uh, Trevor Harris or Jeremiah Mazzoli? I'd lean towards Mazzoli. Um Trevor Harris is hit and miss. If he's on his game, I think the Red Blacks will win. If he's off his game, like we saw sometimes throughout the year, I don't know if the Red Blacks have a chance. To me, to me, it's a it's a very interesting thing, and I, I think we'll find out very early on in the, in the game which way this will. And when I say hit and miss for Trevor Harris, I mean like high potential, high ceiling, mm-hmm. but also you know, struggling to consistently get there every game. Like, Trevor Harris is a heck of a quarterback, but there have been times throughout even this season and his entire career where things have fallen apart for him. I talked to Trevor Harris at CFL Week in Winnipeg. Right. He didn't come out and say it, but I I, I got the sense when I asked him a question about his expectations and what it was like to play in Ottawa and that whole kind of thing. I got the feeling he was real sick and tired of having a label on him that is inconsistent. I think he's getting real sick of it. So I, I think, to me, I would not see Trevor Harris' best. Because I think we have yet to see Trevor Harris' best as far as entering that upper echelon in the CFL. On the defensive side of the ball, which is where you think this matchup will be won, mm-hmm. you have a Hamilton defense that stepped up big time this past week, made some huge plays. You have an Ottawa defense that I would say is underrated. I think they have a fair, very good defense in Ottawa, but people just don't seem to rate them in that upper group of the league. I don't either, because I think they were consistently inconsistent. You expected one thing from them defensively, and you, and you got the other. So I, I think, to me, like, as long as Hamilton doesn't shoot themselves in the foot, 
There's no reason why Hamilton can't win this game. I, I'll say I give the edge to Hamilton slightly on defense, but uh, I'll just go off of the momentum of what they did last week. But I'll, I'll say it's a wash, essentially, because I think either defense could step up and have a big day here. Would you would you agree with me on that? Absolutely. Here's where I... So you think this game's going to be won on defense, right? Yeah, I, I mean, they need to be won on defense from a standpoint, but I think, and it's about the record in the CFL, Team before is the most turnovers are gonna lose, are gonna win this team. Because I'll go on another side of the ball and say this game will be decided on special teams, and, and this is why this is why I think Ottawa wins this game. Because you look at the two kickers, you look at Liram Harolahu, who has missed some some key kicks this season, and you look at Lewis Ward, who missed what once all season, right? Like 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 Lewis Ward is on already has the the pro football record for consecutive field goal kicks. He's is he at 50 yet? I don't even know I don't know for sure what he's at at this point, but he he he's on a tear. He hasn't missed since like the beginning of the season. If it comes down to a last second field goal, who am I putting my confidence in to win it? Lewis Ward, not Liram Harolahu. Looking at the return game, Deontay Spencer is one of the most explosive returners in the league. Uh, if he can, if he can break one loose, I, I've got this one. Uh, Ottawa has the advantage on special teams, and I think that wins them the game. Field position, average starting field position for me is what this comes down to. Um, I don't know Hamilton's returning. I, I'm trying to think who is the Earlington. No, the Frankie Williams. Oh, Frankie Williams. Um, but you know. I think we'd have be having a totally different discussion if Brandon Banks was in the lineup. And if Brandon Banks was in the lineup, I don't think this is a close team. No, nah, maybe not. I think it's still a close game, but Hamilton potentially wins that one. But uh, getting into our pick for this game, uh, I'm taking Ottawa. Uh, make it four for Ottawa because I, I, at the end of the day, I think Hamilton, while I have more confidence in them to go out and win this one after what they did against BC this past week, uh, I like Ottawa a little more here, so I'm taking the Red Blacks to uh, go back to the Grey Cup, which, by the way, would make three three appearances in the Grey Cup in the last four years for the Red Blacks. Crazy how good an expansion team can be, eh? Crazy, crazy, yeah. Uh, so who are you taking to win? Hamilton. Hamilton. So last week you had the Red Blacks, I believe. Did you have the Red Blacks beating Hamilton last week when we did our playoff predictions i believe you did mm-hmm. um now you're taking hamilton to beat ottawa was it just what you saw from hamilton this past week that puts it over the top yeah and and just to me i don't trust ottawa at this point to do a full 60 minute effort as far as you know consistency and quite frankly i like jeremiah Mazzoli's team a little bit more at this point than i do trevor harris's team that's fair. And I think, you know, you are totally in the right to pick Ottawa. I just think this is a pick them coin flip game. You, uh, I generally don't make score predictions, but you like to, Mike, so you want to give us a score prediction for this game. 28-24. For Hamilton. Yep. All right. Yeah, I, I think this would be super close. And it wouldn't surprise me four points one way or four points another way. So then that leads us into our final game to talk about here, the West Division Final, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers going into Calgary to face the Stampeders, uh, trying to become the first third-place team in the CFL to make the finals, to make the Grey Cup, since 2005. Is it just me, or is that ridiculous? 
Since 2005, it's been either the first or second place team in each division that's gone on to make the Grey Cup. In just the last or CFL in general? I believe the CFL in general. Well, that's not really surprising if, if you look at it. I mean, winning on a road in the CFL is not easy. The first place team only has to win one game. Right. Right? The second place team... Has to win a road game. Has to have a road game, but it's coming off a home win. Right. So, again, it's winning two road games in the playoffs, and let's be frank, in two of the most difficult environments in the CFL. But I think if there's any team that can do it, it's this version of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. So where do you want to start with this matchup, uh, with this game between Winnipeg Cavalry? Well, let's first make the announcement that Adam Bateo aged in a play on Sunday. For those that are panicking, but he won't. Right, he got nicked up at the end of the game, but he looks to be fine. And I think He had he... a deadline today, and I'm paraphrasing just a little bit. When asked how injured he was, he said, Well, the best day you have... The best day you feel football wise and physicality wise is the day before training camp. <laughs> uh, Javon Santos Knox, I believe, also might be back in the lineup for this game. He's questionable. Uh, on the other side of things, Calgary's getting a big piece back because it looks like I think DeVars Daniels is going to be back in time for this game. So, for all the injuries they've had at wide receiver, Calgary now gets a huge option back there for them. Uh, taking all of this into account, um, Certainly, this isn't an easy task for the Bombers, right? We talked about, you know, they got over the hump of Saskatchewan last week, which is a place throughout the, you know, the past decade. They've struggled to win games in Regina, but they did. Mm. Well, where have they struggled to win games even more than Regina? Calgary. Except in week 20. Except in week 20 back in, back last year when it didn't matter, mm-hmm. right? Um, so certainly not easy to go into Cowtown if you're the Bombers. Uh, for a playoff game here, which a Calgary team that uh, three of the past four years has gone on to play in the Grey Cup. Where do you start with, with this game between Winnipeg and Calgary? What do you want to talk about first? I, I think, and I'm, I'm trying as hard as I can to take my my fan hat out of this, but people find this hard to believe. But I think if there's any chance that Calgary doesn't make it to the Great Cup, it's this year. Just hmm. given everything that's happened, and to be honest with you, the line that scares me coming out of Calgary, Dave Dickinson on Monday or yesterday said, I wouldn't be surprised before the underdogs and we're okay with that. As you recall, the last number of years, Calgary has been a slam dunk to win the West Division Final at home because they've been that good. Take me back to the last Bomber home game of the year, and it was a little bit of a spurt in the third quarter which propelled the Bombers to a big win. I think that happens again. I'm not saying the Bombers win the game, but I think if you're heavy on the Calgary train, which some people are, just like everybody thought that Winnipeg would beat Saskatchewan pretty easily, which I didn't see happening, which didn't happen. But I think you are sleeping on the Winnipeg Blue Bombers if you think Calgary's going to come in and blow away the Bombers. So they split the season series 1-1 back in end of August. Calgary goes and wins 39-26 in Calgary. at home in Calgary. And then the Bombers go and win the home game in week 20. So what are the 20. total points scored? 
Uh, well, they won that one, 39-26. Uh, and 13. Then, and then the Bombers won 29-21 in week 20. So, so Calgary win the student series, but left plus five, yeah. plus six. Now, the interesting thing to me is go back to that game in August that the Bombers lost. Forever, what I'll remember that Bombers lost by is Kamar Jordan just like uh-huh. eating all day, all day long, right? Just shoving more yards in. 249 yards receiving for Kamar Jordan in that game. And yet the Bombers were almost able to overcome that. Bo Levi Mitchell has his best career game at that point. I think he might have topped it in a game a couple mm-hmm. of weeks later. But uh, impressive day for both of them. That's also when Bo still had most of his receivers, his mm-hmm. starting receivers in the lineup. And frankly, can would you agree with me, and maybe you have a counter-argument to this, mm-hmm. that was the last bad game the Bombers' defense played in 2018. You must be reading my mind like a photocopy of it, and I'm just going to say that. Because ever since that game, you know, the Bombers' defense tightened things up. Yes, they lost the next two to Saskatchewan as well, but I don't remember the details of that uh, Labor Day Classic, but I know the Banjo Bowl, you can't attribute that to the defense, that loss, because that one was the Matt Nichols. Labor Day was much the same. I think he threw two pits back to the end on the Bomber offense, couldn't get anything going in that game, as I recall. So now we fast forward to later in the season, and the Bombers go and pull out that win, and now we're facing off in the playoffs as well. It's almost like from that game, Calgary and Winnipeg have gone in opposite directions. Right, Calgary struggled down the stretch while Winnipeg flew down the stretch, which is, I think, why Dave Dickinson said what he said, right? Some people will consider us the underdogs. I think that plays into it as well. Uh I'm interested to see how this game's going to go. I, I really could see it going anyway. But let's th- let's do the same thing we did with mm-hmm. the East Final, and let's talk about positional matchups. Mm-hmm. Calgary, off- offensively, let's start there. Calgary, you know, struggled for a little while down the stretch on offense because they had the ch- changing parts at wide receiver, new guys trying to get used to the offense. Uh, but in that final game against BC, they really came out strong in that first half work together well. They're getting a piece back in Devaris Daniels this week. We've seen what the Bombers' offense can do. We've seen what the Bombers' run de- run offense can do particularly. Who do you give the edge to on offense and why? Winnipeg, just because I think they're a little bit deeper at wide receiver at this point. Yes and no. I would say now that Markeith Ambles has stepped up and now that uh, Chris Matthews has gotten acquainted with that Calgary offense. And if you do get Daniels back this week and Eric Rogers, I, I think that Calgary offense is very good. Um, running back-wise, certainly I don't think there's any argument to you right now that Andrew Harris is obviously the more optimal option than, uh, say, Don Jackson from Calgary, who had a strong start to the year but didn't really flash at all the rest of the season. I would give this one a wash because I think Calgary's got a uh, Calgary's got a better offense or a better passing game, but the Bombers have a better rushing game. Yeah, and I think you know I'm just trying to look ahead here. Last I checked, the weather's going to be decent, so it might be opening up for an aerial type of game, which I think favors Calgary. Calgary, but again, the Bombers to me. Uh, have you seen any busts in coverage take out the Edmonton game? No, then that's something the defense has Few done far very well us. is the the big plays, right? They, they've they given up a lot less big plays than they normally do, or in recent years, I should say, in the second half of this season. So we'll see if they can mitigate that. But 
I don't know. As much as Bo Levi Mitchell and the Stampeders have struggled in the Grey Cup the last couple of years, Mike, they're very good when it comes to Western finals, and uh, I expect no different this week. Weather for Sunday is going to be 4 degrees. Much nicer than uh, the, what, minus 18 it was in Regina or with something winter, like yeah, that? Minus 10, with minus 10 felt like minus 18. Uh, so offensively, you give the edge to Winnipeg. I say it's a wash. Defensive side of the ball. I got to go with Calgary on defense. As much as, as much as the Winnipeg defense has stepped up, and I think it's close, I, I still think Calgary is the best defense in the CFL. I think it's a, I think it's a sob. It's what? I think it's a sob. Dead even. Dead even. I, 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 I can see that argument. I, I think, to be honest with you, I think they're dead even offensively, dead even uh, defensively. And I, I think Calgary wins this game, and if they win this game, because of special teams. What what about Calgary special teams do you like that much more? Well, to me, it terrifies me that Calgary has that return threat. Right. I haven't seen anything from the Bombers that, resi- that resembles that they didn't even get a punt return. That's true. And I think in a game, this is the type of game with everything at stake, that special teams and... For whatever reason, good field position to start drives is going to be paramount. Bombers do not take a lot of penalties. That's another positive. But to me, I, it just terrifies me that we're going to lose this game because I don't want to single Kevin Fodd out, but it's not just Kevin Fodd. It's, it's everything. It's blocking. The holes aren't there. Uh, they're not setting up returns properly. Yeah, I'll agree with you that Calgary gets a bit of an edge on special teams because whether it's Romar Morris, Terry Williams, I don't know I don't know who's doing the return duties so, at this so point So who's going to return for the Bombers? Kevin Fogg, probably. Wait, Kevin Fogg. I would argue there's no room for him on the roster, but I like what Charles Nelson did in that final game of the season against Edmonton, but there's no room for him on the roster. So it probably will be Kevin Fogg returning kicks again, and... While Fogg does have the ability to break it out, I don't think the blocking is there for the Bombers right now to allow him to do that effectively. Uh, so, yeah, I'll agree with you. A bit of an edge to Calgary on special teams. Here's the, the Bombers can mitigate my concern by one thing. Justin Madlock punting as close to the sideline as possible, limiting the return angle of said returners which they did to achieve for the most part against the Rough Riders, who have arguably the best return in the lead. They can change games on a dime, whether it's Fade Pen, Moore, you name it. I was terrified in the final two minutes that it was going to be a punt return, and I'd seen the movie before. If you can limit the return angle, keyword being angle, and close in on dice... You're talking about 10 to 15 yards backwards in field position, which is 10 to 15 yards further away from field goal range, which is another first down away. I I think this game, and it sounds cliche, and I think it's the exact same thing you said about the other game. I think this game comes down to turnovers. And more often than not in the CFL, honestly, it does, because Bombers have done a great job of managing turnovers on offense, they can force turnovers on defense, I I, I think, and get Bowie by Mitchell off his game early, I, I think they'll this will trend in the favor of a Bombers victory. But if the Calgary offense comes out early 
gets a drive going, gets a touchdown, you know, gets a stop on defense, gets another touchdown, a la what they did against BC in week 21 to secure first place in the West. I, I just don't know if that point, if the Bombers get behind early in this one and Calgary's offense gets in a rhythm, I don't know if the Bombers can, uh, can come back from that. Uh, getting into overall picks here, Mike, you know, I, I liked, I, I had a feeling the Bombers would get past Saskatchewan, but winning in Saskatchewan and then going next week and winning in Calgary is not something the Bombers historically, you know, have shown a track record for being capable of doing. Uh, I think it's going to be a really close game. I want to give the Bombers a chance here, but at the end of the day, Calgary's been in the Grey Cup three of the last four years for a reason. Uh, I, I got to go Calgary. I'm taking the stamps to win. Yeah. Do I balk on what I said last week? Winner, well, well win, winner of Winnipeg, Saskatchewan wins the great cup. That's what I said right near the end. Well, the Bombers have a better record when I pitch against them. So for everything that that's worth, I'm going Calgary 31-27, but it wouldn't surprise me if the Bombers win. All right, we'll... We'll go with that. Uh, again, last week I predicted both uh, Winnipeg and Hamilton to win that one. So my pre-playoff predictions are still alive of the Calgary-Ottawa finals. You had Saskatchewan winning the Grey Cup this year. That did not happen, Mike. I'd just like to rub that in because my preseason predictions were so terribly wrong, I like to point out when when I, when I finally get them right. <laughs> any Any final thing you have to add here before we close this one out? Just go on Twitter. Uh, the account is CFL underscore news. I, I don't have time to read it uh, right now on this podcast. But there's a quote on there that's from Michael Shavitt that he watched it that Justin Jeffcoat hit for an hour and, and trying to vigorously defend it. To me, one plea to the CFL. Do the right thing. And get your referees some help for the biggest game of the year. Because quite frankly, they're only bigger from this point on. Well, I was just about to wrap this up and close it out, Mike. But uh, some news from the ever-reliable Justin Dunk to talk about here. Uh-oh. Um, we talked about what are BC, what's BC going to do at the head coach position uh, going forward. Well, according to Justin Dunk, BC lines to interview Riders special teams coordinator Craig Dickinson for a head coaching job. Get that BC Calgary Dickinson versus Dickinson matchup going, baby. Brothers going head to head. If he does end up going to, I, you know, I think that's a good choice for BC if that's who they're looking at for head coach. I'll tell you something. Ed Hervey should not have been fired in Edmonton. No. Ed Hervey will turn around BC. He will win them at Ray Cup in the next three years. All right, that is a... I'm out with that spot. All right, we'll leave it at that for Mike. Just to wrap things up here, so we have the Bombers in Calgary, the Ticats in Ottawa this week, four teams playing, two will go on to face one another in the Grey Cup uh, on Sunday, November 25th. Stop, Brian, stop. I'm dreaming. Please stop. <laughs> It should be a wild ride. Uh, we should hopefully be back again next week, find some time to uh, to recap the division finals 
and tee up the Grey Cup because... I'll tell you where the best place to have a Grey Cup party is. Absolutely. It's uh, it's a lot of fun when it comes to playoffs, breaking all of this down, uh, especially with M- Mr. Michael Garrell here beside me. Uh, good to see you again, by the way, Mike, uh, as we did this in person today. In person, and I appreciate it. <laughs> it's good to see you. We'll leave it at that for this week. Uh, find us on all the podcast platforms, wherever you're listening to us now. Hey, congrats, you already found us. Uh, if there's another one you prefer, just ask me on Twitter. I'll, I'll get it on there for you in whatever spare time I have. Uh, follow us on Twitter, at CFC on Mike FM. Uh, Facebook as well, Facebook uh, at CFC on Mike FM. Uh, Mike, where can people find you on Twitter? Uh, people can find me at Mike Joe in between all my hockey uh, tweets. And you can find me on Twitter at CooperTrooper42. Um, follow, and make sure to also follow the Canadian Football Podcast Network on Twitter at cfpodnetwork.ca and or at cfpodnetwork on Twitter and also the website at cfpodnetwork.ca. Check out all of the other great Canadian Football Podcast Network shows. Uh, congratulations, by the way, to the Piffles podcast, uh, who just released episode number 100, uh, this past week. Boy, did they have some good guests on that show. Absolutely. So check that out if you haven't done so already and check out all of the other, uh, Canadian football podcast network shows as well. For Michael Garrell, this is Ryan Coop saying thanks as always for listening. It's always a pleasure to, you know, do this and, uh, we love that you listen and we hope you enjoy it. Uh, Have a wonderful week. Enjoy the playoff games this week, and we will be back next week previewing the Grey Cup of 2018, Mike. Bombers and Grey Cup at the same sentence. We'll see if it happens. We'll see if it happens. Stay tuned. Thanks for listening. Have a wonderful day. Take care. Bye. Bye.